0: Let's jump in. We're going to go Philippians chapter 1. If you weren't here last week, Brad kicked off that we're going to be in the book of Philippians this spring. And we're excited to jump in. One of the things that's interesting about um, the fitness culture now that's happened in the past seven to eight years is the CrossFit phenomenon. How many of you are CrossFitters in here? Say it proud. Show your muscles. Come on. Raise them high. Yeah, of course you are. huh. Okay, so this CrossFit phenomenon came and it has completely taken the fitness industry by, by storm. And, and CrossFitters, they're their own little unique group. Like there's some lingo that CrossFitters have, like WAD, right? A workout of the day. Hey, okay? if you have, there's a CrossFitter here, go up to him, and I say, hey, what'd you get on Murphy? And they'll know what you're talking about. There's some insider lingo with CrossFit. It's interesting to watch, and CrossFit, it's, it, it's a culture. And it's a very polarizing culture. Like you have anti-CrossFit people that are in the fitness world, and they're very vocal about anti-CrossFit. And then you have the CrossFit team that's this little, this little cult-type gathering that's just like, no, CrossFit is from Jesus, actually. Jesus is the one that instituted that. So what's interesting about CrossFit, though, is how it has taken things by storm, and you'll see 40-year-old mothers – Power cleaning and snatching and putting bars over their head with big weight—it's—it's it's amazing. But one of the things that has made CrossFit, so I believe, so successful, is CrossFit is all about the community that they are creating. And the reason that people do so well in CrossFit is because when you decide to do CrossFit, you automatically are included in a community that is that is challenging you, that's motivating you, that's. Pressing you to, to kind of reach farther than you, than you thought you could do. My wife and I did CrossFit for about a year and a half, and uh, just ended up, I couldn't, couldn't afford it. It's expensive, so we stopped doing it. And now I do kind of CrossFit workouts on my own, but here's the reality. I don't do them near as hard as what I did when I had the community around me. And If you've ever been to CrossFit, you know that community that, that takes place, and it almost becomes... this this team of people that are in this CrossFit gym and almost becomes a partnership. And that's why CrossFit has become so successful and why people that join CrossFit see amazing results. Because they're automatically included in this team, in this partnership, that they're all focused on the same thing. Now as we look at Philippians chapter 1 this morning, we're going to look at the intro to it. And a lot of times we want to skip over the intro part, because it usually is Paul like, hey, you know, thanks for everything you do, say hi to so-and-so. Like, we want to skip over that. But there's some good things today in here, and we're going to look at very specifically the idea of partnership. And just like the, the CrossFit phenomenon, or those of you that have been part of a team, I think the thing that Paul's bringing us to in Philippians that you're going to see is this idea of partnership, and what does it mean to have a gospel partnership? Now, Paul's the one that wrote Philippians. Here's Paul's strategy. Arrive in a town, go to the center of the town, preach the gospel, make disciples, plant a church. Leave. Repeat. That's his strategy. And so, 10 years before Paul writes this letter, he goes to Philippi, and and Brad beautifully walked through that story last week. If you were here, if you didn't, it's online. Did a great job telling you how this church was started. Paul plants this church. Now, Ten years later, he is writing back to this church. And he's writing back. It's a thank you letter. It's an update. It's a letter of encouragement. The number one theme of this letter of Philippians is joy. It's the number one theme, which sounds cute, doesn't it? Like those of you that grew up in, in church and Sunday school, you sing that song, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Woo, all right? You just sang that. We hear the word joy, and, and we can kind of sound like this little cute, oh, joy. We want joy. Joy's great. But the type of joy that Philippians is going to talk about is this gut wrenching joy despite circumstances. And in order to really understand the gravity of this letter and the idea of joy, we have to understand the circumstances that, that Paul is in as he writes this letter. He's in prison, he's been beaten. He's been beaten very badly. He couldn't do the mission that God had called him to do. God's called him to go to cities and preach the gospel. He's in jail. He can't do it. He couldn't go worship with other believers. He couldn't eat meals with other believers. He couldn't visit the churches that he wanted to visit. He's being criticized by people outside the church. And the Roman government is a lunatic. He's being criticized by people in the church as a lunatic. Some of the Christian believers are telling him God's punishing you Paul you're off track this is why God's punishing you you're in prison and it was in these circumstances that Paul's letter of joy is going to come You're going to see in Philippians that this may be as Paul's most honest letter that he's ever written We're going to see his heart and this letter has some weight to it He's in prison he's alone he doesn't know his future. He doesn't know whether he will see this church again. Will he be killed in prison? He doesn't know. I, was, I got back from Europe two days ago. I went to Italy I'll talk about a little bit, to spend some time with our church planners. And I took a little trip on my own, and went, um, went to Germany. I went to the Munich area, and while I was there, I got to go visit uh, a concentration camp, Dachau concentration camp. And as I learned about this camp it started as a labor camp for people that were deemed enemies of the state. So when Hitler comes to power in Germany, anyone that was considered anti-Hitler which could be a multitude of dis- different reasons was sent to this. This is pre-war was sent to this work camp. And here's what what I learned when if you got sent to Dachau concentration camp as an enemy of the state, whether you are a German, whether you are a homosexual, whether you are a Jewish person, doesn't matter. When you arrive, you walk through the gates, and from the very second that you walk through that gates, the thing they want to communicate to you is you are nothing. And they would start by beating the prisoner. The first thing they walk in the yard, they would beat them senseless. They would then take them. They would give them haircuts. They would shave them. They would make them strip naked. They would rub acid into the wounds they just got from their beating to cleanse them because they are worthless scum. they put them in prison, you know, the, the, the striped suits. And from the very second they arrived, they wanted to break them and communicate, you are here, you are ours, we will do what we want, and your future is unknown. And they would break people. And that is the situation that Paul is in. A very similar circumstance. And he's writing back to these believers, his church, these people he loves. And what is he going to tell them? Think about that. Put yourself in his place. What would you tell your community of believers that you love? Let's see what he says. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what he says. I thank God. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. I'm not sure that's how I'd start the letter. Dear Hill City Church, didn't go quite like I thought it would. Here's what he says I thank my God in all remembrance of you, this church in Philippi. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul has this crazy amount of joy in his life in the midst of his situation. And he's in his first mention of where does this joy come from, obviously it comes from Christ. But here's the, here's the thing that comes to his mind, these Philippian believers. He loves them. And he has a reason to be joyful about it. You'll, you'll see that. And he says to him, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Like every time I think about you, I thank God. I love you. I, when I, when I, lo- I looked at verse 3. I had to laugh because how many young men have cl- included that in a love letter to their girl? My, Philippians 1, three. all of my remembrance of you. I, I did it, just so you know. Um, like Paul loves this church. They're a delight to him. Like they make his heart ooze with, with joy. He has this great affection for them. Here's what we know that while he's a prisoner in Rome, by the way, just because, when you're a prisoner in Rome, you don't necessarily get three meals a day like in our prison system. And so as a prisoner, he may not eat unless people on the outside take care of them. And we're going to learn that they have sent someone to take care of him, to send, to be with him, uh, to, to love him well. And so he's writing back telling them about this. And as he thinks about this, this church, I, I want to call them his spiritual children, all that comes up in his mind is gratitude and joy and thankfulness. And as he's sitting in the innermost prison, suffering, the thought of them produces joy. Those of you that are parents, that are older parents, that have kids that are older and, they're, and they've just been a great joy to you, you know the feeling of just watching them just kind of just puffing up like a peacock, right? You're just so proud. You're so happy for them. And I think that's what Paul's looking like at, at these people. One of my joys in ministry, one of my deepest joys, is to see um, people that I've invested in, spiritual children of mine, and to see them grow in their faith and to see them take on leadership roles and give them themselves. And it and just it moves me. It pulls me to them. It stirs my affection for them. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's proud of this church. And if you know Paul's writings, like, this type of intro to a book is pretty rare. Like, here's what, how Paul, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, here's, here's how he intros it. Ten verses in, I appeal to you, let there be no divisions among you. In Galatians, it only takes a couple of verses. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel. Okay, when, it, when, a, when a conversation starts with, I'm astonished that you, it's never good. But Paul's gonna start this letter Philippians in a totally different way and say, every time I think about you, my heart overflows with joy and gladness. He'll say we're new, but the Lord is very, very quickly, and I'm gonna speak for Brad also, very quickly stirring our affections for you. Been gone for a month. I couldn't wait to get back. And I was preparing this sermon, and I was thinking about that. I was just reflecting all the things to be grateful for, for the church that I'm leading. Like, how, how many people have come to know Christ in the six months that we've been around? I think about some of our, our leaders who've stepped up to lead in this church, and many of them, for the first time ever, they've served on teams, but they've never been in charge of a team. And to watch them stumble through and grow and learn and shine, it's beautiful. To see many of you active and serving. I don't know if every single Sunday, there's a group of people that get here like really before the sun's coming up to set this thing up. They do it every single week. And they serve and they And Every time I think about them, I I see these faces, just my heart overwhelms with joy. Watching many of you be open to new ideas. How many of you have been in a, a church your whole life that's been a Sunday school church? Raise your hand. How many of you? Raise them higher. Raise them higher. Yeah. Many of you. And to see many of you be open to the first time of being in a church that's about home groups and doing that different, kind of stepping out of what you've always known. It's beautiful. Your flexibility. We don't know from the, if we'll be in this room or in the building next door. We're going to have to cancel in, in three weeks. And you guys are like, all right, what's fine. We'll be here the next. And to watch you grow and to watch us as a church grow makes our hearts just come alive to see the multi-generational aspect of this church. You guys realize for a church plant, this is very rare. Usually a church plant is all 20-year-olds, maybe some 30s. And we have a very healthy group of young people, but look around. We have some 15-, 60-year-olds that have joined with us, and they are a backbone of this church, and that is rare. As I'm writing this sermon, my heart is just overwhelmed with gratitude because you don't have to be here. And we may not do things like you always want to do them, and I, and I realize, but I appreciate you so much. And as Paul thinks about this church, these emotions are coming into him. And you picture him in prison writing this letter, and he says, Every time I think about you, my heart rejoices. Let's go to verse 5. We're going to see very specifically why his heart is so moved by these people says, because every time I think about you, my heart rejoices, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That phrase, partnership in the gospel, that's the phrase we're going to latch on today and we're going to look at. What does it mean to be a partner in the gospel? Because the thing that Paul stirs Paul's joy for these people is this very thing, that they are partners In the gospel, that word partnership—it's often translated fellowship—in the Bible, and here's what it means: it means a mutual interest in sharing. So I thank you, Philippian believers. When I think about you, because of your mutual interest in sharing of the of the message of the gospel, of my mission of the gospel—that's what Paul's telling them. And this idea of partnership or fellowship, especially fellowship in the church, has become such a meaningless word. Like get a bunch of Christians together, watching a movie and eating popcorn, they'll say, oh, we had great fellowship tonight. Fellowship is something way deeper than Christians just hanging out. Fellowship is a sharing of our souls, sharing of our hurts, sharing of our joys, taking care of one another, it's this deep word. And when Paul thinks about these believers, The idea of fellowship or partnership in the gospel is what he is most appreciative about. And here's what we know about this word fellowship or partnership. It's a two-sided relationship. Partnership is two-sided. To be a partner with someone, to have fellowship with someone, it means that we are united around a specific vision. It's that vision that unites us in fellowship. Uh, Brad and I uh, had a partnership for several years, and our partnership is we went into the chicken raising business. Okay, we like to eat chicken and have good organic chicken. So for a few years, we built this pen, and we would and Brad kept it at his house, and we would put our resources together, our brains together, which was <laughs> maybe part of the problem, and uh, we would try to we would raise these chickens to butcher for meat. And and so the first year we t- we spent like a whole weekend, you know, getting the pen all ready. It's a pen that you can move. Every day, So they get fresh grass and, and all that kind of free range without without the being free part um, And so we had this we had this partnership we had it down the, the pen was beautiful our kids helped do it We had a great time we get our little chickens we put them in there and everything's going great for about four or five weeks Okay, and you know that you know that parable that jesus talks about how the there's a sheep pen and if a wolf comes Like, he's not going to come through the gate of the sheep pen, and it's really bad for the sheep. Well, here's the real. A fox and chickens kind of goes the same way. And so we had this partnership to raise chickens. Well, Brad walks out one morning to see our beautiful chickens there, and what he sees, it's in July. It looks like it snowed. And that would be feathers all over the ground. Somewhere in the night, a fox got into our chicken coop and stole about half of them and completely ravaged them across his yard. Okay, Uh, But nonetheless, our partnership, we we sucked it up. We kept going. The next couple of years, we had some good success with our chicken raising. But the thing that united us about this partnership was this shared vision of we want to see healthy, free-range chickens that we can butcher for our family. It brought us together, united us. So a partnership is united around a specific vision. And so this church and Paul had a gospel partnership. Meaning it was two-sided. Their goal was to spread the gospel all over Europe and Asia, where they found themselves. That was the goal, and it's what brought them together. Gospel partnership. So the Philippian church didn't see it as Paul's job. Okay, Paul, you're the apostle. You go do your thing. We'll just kind of cheer you on. No, they're involved. It's a two-way side. We're going to look at what that looks like. One of the things that we talk about is not wanting to contract out the Great Commission. There's believers that tends to come sometimes be, well, let's give it to the missionaries, the professional people to do the ministry, kind of contract that out. Philippian Church didn't do that. They said, we have some responsibilities here. Okay, and so he says in verse 6, And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So we have this gospel partnership, and Paul looks at them, and he's confident that God is working in them, and they are going to remain faithful in the ministry. Now, he's not always confident with people that he writes to in his letters in the Bible. He doesn't always have this confidence, but the thing that gives him confidence about this group of people is that they are in gospel partnership. Hear me, guys. a, A guy that does church for a few months, and then walks away, is not a believer, There's not, these people are not doing church, they're in gospel partnership, so what does a gospel partnership look like, as I studied this text, here's, I think it's two things, two things that kind of, that make a gospel partnership, it's relational and resources, those two things, relational and resources. Let's talk relational. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Because of this relationship with this church, they are one of the things that keeps Paul going. Think, it's been 10 years. Like 10 years, he could go start the church, love the people. If there's no relationship, if there's no proximity there, Paul's going to slowly drift away from them. But it's obvious there's this deep relationship. And now it's easy for us guys to look at Paul as a superhero. You know, we kind of see him up in the wind and his cape flapping in the wind. He's looking out over the land he's going to go preach the gospel to. But Paul's a human dude. And I think Paul's on the verge of breaking. And what's holding him up, what's keeping him confident in the faith is his love for Christ and this group of people that he has a relationship with and that he has a gospel partnership with. I mean, Paul's, Paul's a, a tough dude. I mean, he says things like, I want to go where no man where the gospel has never been preached. That's where I want to go. And it's lazy to look at him and say, man, Paul, you're just Unmovable. You're unbreakable. No, he's not, and that's why he needs these people. He's writing back to thank them for this. One of the greatest graces that God gives us is gospel partnership, meaning relationship with other believers. It's one of the greatest graces that God's extended to you. The question we'll look at in a second, are you taking use of that grace that God has gifted you? Paul's going to say, you're sharing with me in grace. The grace that God's giving me through you is what's keeping me going. So gospel partnership, it requires a relationship, and he has a very close relationship, so much that he just has this overwhelming affection for them. But here's the other part of gospel partnership. It requires resources. It requires resources. Here's the first resource, people. Here's what we know about this church is they've sent a guy named Ephroditus to Paul from their church. And here's what they told Ephroditus. Hey, we're going to give you a gift of money to take to Paul to support him. And then we want you to stay there as long as he needs you. Philippian church didn't need to do that. I mean, they're losing a solid dude from their church, but they sent Ephroditus to go minister to Paul. And that's one of the reasons Paul's writing this letter back to them. This gift of them sending someone opens the floodgates of their hearts. Here's the other part of resources financial. They are financially supporting Paul in his ministry. He could not do it without their help. Right now, they are feeding him in prison, and he definitely couldn't do that without them. So, a gospel partnership, relational and resources that's what constitutes a gospel partnership. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, talking about begging us earnestly earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So a gospel partnership is relational and its resources when I say resources I mean people and finances. Notice what Paul says about this church. They gave out of their extreme poverty says their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in generosity. Those two things don't go together. Extreme poverty and generosity usually don't come. But this church so loves Paul and so loves the gospel and the mission that when Paul's thinking about how they give, he says their extreme poverty has caused them to give generously. Some even more than they should have. And his heart rejoices for them. Gospel partnership. Hill City, we have two gospel partnerships. One of those is Second Baptist Church. Many of us came out of that. They're the ones that helped plant this church. They are financially supporting us. They're supporting us relationally. It's been several times that Jay Hughes, the executive pastor, sat down with Katie and Michael, who Michael's in charge of our finances, walked them through. We couldn't do without him. John Marshall and his relationship with us, investing in us, them financially supporting us. It's been a beautiful relationship. It's a gospel partnership. There's a church in Kansas City called Redeemer Fellowship that that supports us relationally and financially. This year, they sent us a check for $10,000 for Hill City Church to help us do what we do. We've sent many of our teams up there to learn and, and grow from them. It's relational and it's resources. Hill City Church, we have a partnership. So where I just got back from. In Italy, we have a church planner named Giacomo Sardone, and we support him financially. We support him with prayer. We support him, support him with resources and people. I was just there. Here's what overflowed from him to you, is he could not do it without your help. Couldn't. Overwhelming with joy. He's crying as he telling me this. He's in a situation in, in Italy where he doesn't know very many believers. He definitely doesn't know Christian leaders, pastors. Him talking about just having Brad and I there to encourage him and walk with him, Tell us how much it means to him. We give, every month, we give a, a good chunk of money to him to support the work that he's doing. It's a gospel partnership. A lot of people have asked us, why are, why are you doing that? Like, shouldn't we get ourselves, like, financially strong before we help others? No, because the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. Matter of fact, the Bible, Paul says about these people, they gave in their poverty. They gave past their means. And we want to have the same heart. So from day one, we had a gospel partnership that before we'd ever spent a dollar on us, we gave money to. So God has called the church into gospel partnership. If you're a covenant member of Hill City, if you're a regular tender, do you realize that you're in gospel partnership together? That we're here together. God's called us into that. This, this corporate level of gospel partnership. We're united around a specific vision. Here's our vision at Hill City. We exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. We're laser focused on that. And it's that vision that unites us. And I would argue the core of what it means to believers to be called into gospel partnership with a group of people. To be a Christian is not just to believe something and go to church. You never see in the Bible church used as a place you go. In the Bible you see church as a place that you belong and that you serve at and you grow and you love and you sacrifice at. It's never meant to be a building. I'm thankful we don't have a building for that reason. But you are called into partnership together. Do you see the church as a place you go or do you see the church as a place in which you belong? Because here's the reality. I go to the movies. I go to restaurants. I go to watch a game, but I'm not invested into those places. You know what I am? I'm a consumer. I go to the movie and I consume some popcorn and a movie. I go to a restaurant, I pay, and I expect a good meal. Many of you are going to cheer on your favorite team today, and you're going to believe that you're part of the team, right? That, that, that it actually depends on what you think and what you say to the TV. I've been there. I've been there but you don't, you're a consumer, okay? And honestly, that team doesn't really care about you. They're there for one another and they're gonna try to win for one another because they're the team. Hill City, are you treating the church like you treat the movies? I'll go and I'll show up, but I expect that music to be good and I expect Hood not to go too long Or are you a partner of Hill City Church? Are you connected to this church? One of the things we told you from day one is your pastors and elders we have no desire to cater to the audience of consumers. Zero. And honestly, we do not, Brad and I do not feel the tension of catering to consumers, we don't feel the tension of growing big. We just don't. Now if the Lord sends people and we see people come to know Christ, yeah, I'm all for growing big if that's what it means. But I'm not concerned about growing big, meaning just get people in the door. Like we're never going to raffle off TVs to visitors or a car or anything. like that. We're just not. I'm not saying that's bad. It's just not us. Because one of the things we believe is what you get people with is what you have to keep them with. And I don't want to start that game. Because the church was never called to be a place that people come consume. The church was called to be a grace that you would come invest in and be joined together in in partnership with. Hill City Church, regular attenders, covenant members, are you in partnership with this church? Like here's what Paul didn't say to this group of believers. I'm thankful for your consumption of the gospel and the services of your church. He didn't say that. No, I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel. So we have no desire to cater to a group of of consumers. Instead, here's what we're focused on, equipping disciples to go minister to this city and spread joy in this city and eventually around the world. That's how we do it. That's what we're about. That's why we do covenant membership. If you want to be a member of our church, you can't just sign up one Sunday and say, I'm a member. Why? Because we believe a member is a covenant. We're coming in partnership together. As a businessman, you'd be a fool to jump into partnership with someone that you had no idea who they were. Be a fool. So for covenant members, we have a process. We have a covenant member class. Our desires, our pastors and elders can get to know you at some level. Because we hold this idea of a partnership to a high level. We have expectations. Because we believe we're in gospel partnership. So our corporate gathering is not just this thing that we do that we hope to be cool and kind of attract people to come. This corporate gathering is really for our partnership, our team to come together and just celebrate and to love one another. So God has called us in to gospel partnership and we are focused on combating consumerism because the call of the gospel is to come and die, not come and consume. And if we sell Anything shorter than the truth of the gospel, we are not loving people. And they can consume themselves right to separation from God from eternity. We love you enough to plead with you to become a gospel partner, to become a covenant member to grow in your connection to Christ and the people of this church. So Hill City Partnership, it's relational we divide into teens. We serve among teens. We get to know each other. We put you in city groups. It's relational. It's also resources. We're serving each other. You are serving, serving like giving of yourselves. It's a resource. Many of you are contributing financially to this church. Um, one of the things that I was blown away with, I found out this morning, um, we didn't have church uh, because of ice or snow in, in December, and then we didn't have church on Christmas Day. Here's what I found out this morning: our offerings. Didn't change, which is huge. It's huge. Here's what it tells me. There's many of you that are so faithful in your giving, it's crazy. Most churches, when they cancel Sundays, their offerings, they crash. I learned this morning that our offerings stayed up. It's because many of you are faithfully giving and are gospel partners with this church. Now, here's what we know from our membership. I, Brad and I never see who gives what. We don't, I don't want to know numbers. I don't want any, of that, any part of that. Um, but we do keep track of our covenant members that are giving. And about 30% of our covenant members give very little, and the rest are super faithful. The other 30% that, I'm, that give very little, may I, may I encourage you, may I challenge you, in 2017, become a faithful, sacrificial giver and partner of Hill City Church. Right now, just to be transparent, we, we are a young church. We're doing, we're doing fine. We finished in the black on, in 2016. Right now, Second Baptist um, kind of accounts for 30% of our budget. And the funding at Second Baptist goes until next November, so about 11 months. So we have between now and November to make up 30% to keep doing the ministry that we feel that we've been called to do. We have people that give very faithfully. If that's not you, you're a regular attender, you're a covenant member, I'm going to challenge you to become a gospel partner of Hill City and jump up and be faithful in your giving. Because it's a huge part of what it means to be a gospel partner. So Hill City, has your gospel partnership with Hill City Church been one-sided? Have you... Been a consumer, and it's fair. We're we're new. Some of you are just kind of checking it out. Let me see if I like these people. But here's what I'd ask. Once you know this is a place God would have you, I encourage you to become a full gospel partner and jump in. Jump in strong. One of the things I love, many of them aren't here yet, are college students up front. In in churches, college students are often seen as a burden. You don't give much. Sorry, you just don't. Uh, You don't give much money. Um, And a lot of times in churches, college students just kind of show up. Here's what I love. We have many of our college students that are serving, greeting in the kids' area, set up, tear down. It's beautiful. College students, don't just consume Hill City Church for four years while you're in Springfield. Jump in, become a gospel partner. And what you're going to see is you're going to see God do something in your heart just like He's done with these Philippian believers. Hill City, what could God do amongst us in the next five, 10, 20 years? If the people of Hill City Church become gospel partners together, what could God do? Because here's the reality, like, I'm not looking for something else. I'm not doing this to try to get a bigger, better gig somewhere else. Unless just the Lord makes it obvious, I'm here, you're got stuck with me. And I feel, I could have left this city a long time ago. I feel called to this city, I feel called to you guys to lead and love and minister alongside of you. What could God do among us if we have the idea, and the, the, the mindset of being gospel partners, what could God do in this city? How many more refugees can be taken care of? How many more orphans can get adopted? How many more young single moms can hear the gospel and find hope? How many men who are, who are disenfranchised with church could hear the gospel and realize that it's not a little frou-frou thing that you do? That happens as we come in partnership together, relationally and with resources. Now, if you're new, great opportunity because we're getting ready to start another semester of city groups. City groups are our smaller communities. You can sign up for those on our website. You can sign up out at the table afterwards. If you're in here and you're not in any type of gospel partnership, like you're just this lone ranger type of dude, I encourage you, get in a group. You need people among you. Here's a reality. Paul does not stand this strong in prison alone. He doesn't. He falls. And I'm convinced of this. Take any one of us and put us on our own for three months, six months, a year or two, and almost all of us will walk away at some level from the faith because we are not designed to be Lone Ranger Christians. We are designed to be in gospel partnership at a corporate level and at a smaller level. Christians, who do you have that has your back when you want to give up? Men, who do you have in your life that's going to tell you what you're being when you decide to start looking at things on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at? Ladies, who do you have in your life that's going to lovingly call you out when you start talking about about your husband in front of all the other girls? All of us must have gospel partnership to make it in this life. And that's what Paul has. Like, if he can't do it alone, why would I think I could? So he's thankful about this group of believers. You're going to get a look at his heart of why his joy comes, why why he's so joyful in spite of his circumstances. The very first thing he thinks of is this group of people and his partnership with them relationally and with resources. And God has called you, and he's called me into that this morning. So Philippians, a book about joy. Joy is not a feeling. It's a lifestyle. And we're going to talk about how to find joy in the next few weeks. But joy is not a feeling. Joy is a lifestyle, and the reason that Paul's able to have a lifestyle of joy is because of his partnership with this group of people. His ankles are raw from the shackles, but his heart is full. And that's because of gospel partnership. So this morning, many of you are in gospel partnership with us. Like you're here, you're connected, you're relationally connected, you're giving, you're serving. Many of you are not. Some of you, are, you're new, you're just checking us out. Here's why I invite you this morning. What is the next step for you for gospel partnership? Some of our young married couples um, need to start giving faithfully. Maybe that's the next step for you. Some of our college students need to start giving faithfully, even if it's $5 a week. Many of you have just showed up Every Sunday. You're not involved in a group. You're not serving anywhere. What is the next step for you for gospel partnership? That table out there is for you to connect. Go out there and just say, hey, I need to get connected. And they'll help you with some next steps because God has called us together into gospel partnership for the vision of reaching the city for the joy of the gospel. So Hill City Church, as we come in this morning to take communion, may you remind yourself of your partnership With Christ because of the cross, and may that spur you on to gospel partnership with one another. And let's turn this city around. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for the joy they are to us as our leaders. And now, Father, may all for all of us, may we come grow closer and deeper in our gospel partnership. And may we do that for our joy. So I pray for faithfulness from us. I pray for steps of growth for us. And I pray that in doing so, you would knit us together and bind us together in a way that's unbreakable for our joy and the joy of this city as we bring the gospel to them. As we study the book of Philippians, Father, may you teach us where real joy comes from. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.